Welcome to What's the Buzz Without a Podcast. This podcast is for beekeepers from Atlanta, Canada, who want relevant, timely information about beekeeping in the region. We feature beekeepers and experts with specialist insights into our beekeeping and pollination industry. Today's guest is Dr. Peter Oren. Peter is a second-generation beekeeper, originally from Alberta, but now living in the Fraser Valley area of British Columbia. From this location, Peter continues his family beekeeping operation and also runs a food authenticity business. With a background in microbiology and knowledge of beekeeping, Peter has a unique skill set which has allowed him to develop the use of nuclear magnetic resonance for the identification of honey fraud. This work uses cutting edge technology to profile Canadian honey, create a database to determine authenticity, identify floral sources and regionality of our honey. Hello, Peter, and thank you for joining us for our, our podcast this afternoon. I, I just wondering if we could begin maybe by giving our listeners a bit of background on your beekeeping and how you got into beekeeping. I think they'd be interested in hearing that. Yes, well, thanks for having me. I am a second generation beekeeper. I've been you know, beekeeping in uh, sort of the Alberta region for a good chunk of my life. My dad started way back in the 50s when he was a teenager, and uh, I grew up in the whole in it. In it. So then um, we moved around a bit through Alberta while I was growing up. Eventually, the border closed to packages, and before that, my dad had been working a lot on overwintering, and we'd done some indoor overwintering. Uh, around the Edmonton area. We'd done outdoor overwintering and sort of just, you know, around that time the border was closing to the packages, we went down into the BC region, into the lower mainland of BC and had some of the best wintering uh, that we'd ever seen go on there. And, and then that was never, ever repeated. <laughs> so we, uh, Eventually ended up moving into BC for that overwintering because everyone preferred winters down, milder winters there. And I spent the uh, last few years of my high school there. Uh, after that, uh, I would definitely say that I told everyone that I would never ever do beekeeping. And uh, we were a fairly educated family. My dad had a PhD. So I went to the University of British Columbia and uh, did a lot of science there, going all the way through to a PhD as well. After that, I did uh, postdoctoral work down in New Zealand, spent a couple of years there, had an opportunity to see what happened in the New Zealand beekeeping industry. While when the Manuka started becoming a, a big thing, and also uh, about the time that Varroa mite showed up. So we'd, I'd already experienced Varroa mite in Canada, but I saw the experience that they had when it showed up there and uh, saw some of their efforts to try and eradicate it beforehand, um, you know, try and contain it and, and prevent its spread. And uh, I definitely was telling everyone that there was no chance that they were going to contain it. 
but uh, and and it proved to be you know I was accurate about that. But it was certainly in a, a different uh, experience seeing what beekeeping was like down in New Zealand and how that goes on and uh, and uh, the benefits that Manuka made to the beekeeping industry right down there, where they had basically uh, this fantastic source of income that changed the the face of the the beekeeping in that part of the world. Uh, eventually, I ended up coming back to Canada, did a bit more postdoctoral research here. Uh, and then things changed a bit. And uh, there was reason to get back into the family business. And I started doing that. And then uh, what got me on this path of looking at uh, the authenticity of honey was the uh, a talk by Norberto Garcia in 2016 at the Alberta Beekeepers meeting, where sort of before that I'd heard about the fraud in honey and things like that. But this, this talk really opened my eyes to what was going on. And he started talking about NMR, mag uh, nuclear magnetic resonance, or which is basically the same sort of technology as, uh, as MRI, magnetic resonance uh, imaging that you get in hospitals. So I understood this. I'd done a little bit of that while I was doing some research there and said, okay, I understand this kind of technology. This is really uh, a change in the way that we can look at it. And I can see this is going to be a really effective tool. Being a beekeeper, I'd suffered this sort of commodity honey price. You're just subject to the world price. You had no say in whether you could, you're allowed to, to uh, you know, get a little bit more for it. We'd, we'd be, because we're down in the lower mainland, we could play around with a bit of this selling directly to the public and things like that. But uh, I mean, that's a whole other business. You know, it's, it's a different aspect to it. And if you like that, it's fine. But uh, you kind of get tired of working all week there and then go and spending the weekend at farmers markets and things like that, trying to make things go. So I figured if uh, anything was going to change the beekeeping industry radically, it was going to be this technology and I was one of the uh, people best suited to uh, work with it and, and go ahead with it and, and bring this to North America where basically it just hadn't existed before. Mm -hmm. it, it, it's an interesting, uh, as beekeepers, we all wear many hats. You know, I joke with people that the first thing you need to realize as a beekeeper is if you're going to be a beekeeper, you also have to be a carpenter. You know, there's... <laughs> You have to be able to do marketing and yet the you know the business side of it so we, as beekeepers and, and running beekeeping operations we all wear many hats but i think the microbiology and the beekeeping hat is unique to you peter i don't know any other person who's got that those blend of skills but as you say it's come together beautifully in this time when we're so concerned about about honey fraud and that idea that and I know we on the west coast it's a similar situation to what we have on the east coast we have a premium product in our honey mm -hmm. and 
And it is a shame to look at it as a commodity that is thrown on to the, you know, it's like a barrel of honey and a barrel of oil. It's not a commodity like that in our eyes as the producer. And we know we've got that premium product. So with the work we're, we're doing and, and you're doing with, with proving the purity and, and the quality of that honey, I think is, is so important. Um, and, and, and I know you say that this is something that we need to do more of in North America. Maybe um, if you could give us a little bit, and I, I know from speaking with you a couple of times previously, kind of the background, and, and this has been quite a European focused development, the use of NMR up till now, hasn't it? Yes, it has. I mean, the first, the company Brooker that uh, started this whole, uh, you know, authenticity, they started originally with juice and Brooker is a big German company and they provide, they actually make the machines that, and they are, if you go to a university or anything, there's a lot of, they, a lot of Brooker equipment in those, in those places. So they're one of those things and they were looking to branch out a bit so they started working on juice for this and then moved into wine um, where they have a and and both those have pretty decent databases and honey has been sort of the latest thing that they started and they've run when I first got into it they were just sort of they they'd had their first database and they started they released their second version where they uh, enhanced it but uh, it definitely has come become apparent to me that the database it because there's a bit of this juice centered uh, focus on it there's there's things that could be improved for on the honey aspect of it there the the protocol probably it would not hurt from tweaking and what's in the database has been uh, sort of haphazard. There has not been a systematic going out there, getting the kinds of honey that actually represent what uh, people are bringing in. Maybe, Peter, if you could, because I think this is, this is worth exploring a bit further. If you could gently explain to us that aren't microbiologists a little bit about the function of NMR and then we could get into what this database is and how it, it's been created and how it's being developed here in, in Canada. Mm -hmm. So um, magnetic resonance is really one of the revolutionary techniques for looking at molecular structures. Uh, in our case, I mean, you're looking right down at the chemical bond level in this. And in our case, we're looking at hydrogen bonds, which is a great thing to look at when you're looking at a carbohydrates. You're looking at organic things because it's loaded with, with uh, all these, these uh, hydrogen chemical bonds. So I like to describe it a bit like you use a magnet to shake up the molecules. It's a bit like hitting, hitting a bell. You hit it with this. So we're hitting with a magnet instead of a striker. And then you listen to what comes back there. So that basically describes it. So in the case when you're looking at something like honey, there's a whole lot of things. It's not like a single bell. It's like you're hitting a whole 
the church bell choirs things where there's there's hundreds of different bells that are ringing and you get all these sounds coming back at you and then you pull that out and you see okay this one i hear this one is so loud and it's ringing at this frequency we're hearing that okay so there's a lot of this there's not so much of this one at this different frequency so you get all these things you're hearing er everything that's in that compound is coming back to you and what that generates for you is something that you can consider in the same way as you consider a fingerprint there is a, a shape to the to what comes back to you and you can use that you can figure out a lot about a lo there's a lot of information there that you can use you can figure out sugar concentrations that are in there all all the different ones that comes out right so the nectar that is pulled out of most plants is high is pretty much sucrose and the bees then go in there and they convert it and they turn that into fructose and glucose which are the two main components but that'll change a bit uh, those the uh, variations on that will, will change a bit they uh, the bees actually add a bit of turinose that's a different kind of sugar in there that's not produced in the plants they add that themselves so we can see that we can measure how much is in there and there's a few other sugars and things like that and that alone that's distinctive to the kinds of flowers that come come from that those that sugar profile is very distinctive and if you don't see the processing of the sugar into the glucose and fructose you know that bees haven't been involved enough or something like that and then there's there's all sorts of variations like that so we can start measuring that because we know what those are but we're also seeing the other little components and things like that and there's a lot of times where we don't know what chemical it is that's in that honey that is producing that signal and it doesn't really matter because in our case what we're doing with the magnetic resonance is that we're we're just making basically an image or a, a fingerprint that then we can go back and compare against our tense test sample so if we know what we're starting with you know we grab a whole bunch of clover honey we can see what clover honey looks like and we can take our unknown sample compare it does this look like clover honey or not and uh or alfalfa or uh purple loosestrife big weeds i mean there's there's things like that and as we get more and more known samples that we put together in the database, we can get more and more accurate about that. I like the bell analogy. That, that's helped me to understand the, yeah. this whole process. So um, Peter, my understanding as well is, so we, we've kind of got three things we can look at. The, the samples that are going into the database you referred to are giving us a, a profile of what honey is generally. Mm -hmm. And then yeah. beyond that, we can look at floral sources with NMR testing, and we can also look at regions. Is, am I correct in that That's there's correct. three yes. things that we can review? Yeah. yeah, we definitely see those sorts of variations. I have seen 
you know, blueberry honey is the, the high bush blueberries. I, what I have in BC differs from what we see on the other side of the country where they're growing high bush or in Maine. That's, that is definitely a, a difference there. And uh, as we do more and more of this, we expect to see, uh, be able to pull that out. Um, basically, uh, we've seen that very clearly in the wine when you look at wine with the NMR. So it's just a matter of getting enough samples to, to accurately produce that and, mm -hmm. and actually see what we're, what's in the honey. So it sounds like a powerful tool, and, and we can see that for research purposes, it, it'll be excellent. But this is also being used more practically right now, isn't it, through the Canadian uh, Food Inspection Agency and, and organizations like that to look at honey? Yeah, for sure. Um, the, the Canadian Food Inspection Agency was basically the first government agency to use magnetic resonance for testing honey and actually preventing its entry into the country. So uh, they were doing that. It has generated a few views because the original databases are heavily based on what uh, a few companies in Germany have uh, brought in, uh, what, what kind of they had on hand and how they were looking at it. So what we have had sort of issues with some of the testing companies is validating their samples based on all their, their testing methods that they've developed in the past. And I have been trying to, to take that to a different level by sampling directly out of hives and using a, a chain of custody method to follow that honey directly from the hive all the way to the testing uh, facility so that we know we have a much, much better idea of the source of that honey. And yes, I, and I, I, we, I, I'd really like to get into that, that research that you're doing, but um, maybe before we jump into that, you can correct me if, if, I've, if I've got this a little bit wrong, but um, with this uh, database that's been created, it's sort of like the average now of all the honey samples that have been contributed to that, that an individual sample would be compared to. And if that individual sample was quite a unique type of honey, would it throw a red flag up when compared to that existing database? There, we have definitely had examples of that. Um, one of the most uh, predominant ones issues in Canada actually happened in Quebec at uh, a place I believe was called uh, Three Rivers Honey or something like that. And uh, there was quite an uproar there. And part of it is, uh, is that honey in Canada looks different than the honey in Europe. Uh, specifically, one of the things we saw is canola that is, comes off the prairies in Canada has a very low proline content. So the proline has very tip, uh, usually been used as an indicator of fraud. So that low proline content was shown uh, in that situation to actually, you know, it set off the red flags. Oh, we got a low proline content. That's bad. It's, uh, 
this, this looks fraudulent. But uh, consistently, we have found now after analyzing lots and lots of canola honey samples, we've seen that our proline is probably 10, 15, even 20% lower than the canola, that, uh, canola honey that's produced in Europe. We're not certain whether that's varietal issues that are going on there or if it's geographical. That's still one of these things that we're looking at. And you also see, I mean, honey is an unbelievably varied substance. And, you know, beekeepers yourselves, you'll see in your crops. One year is darker. Something is going on there. And uh, they're, they're getting from different plants that year or different parts of the year. If you're, if you're pulling your honey selectively, you can see, you can see the differences. So those, we've got so many different flowers in the world that uh, it's really one of the uh, most difficult um, substances to look at with, with uh, magnetic resonance. It sounds like this is uh, this is uh, an excellent tool for for testing honey and tackling honey fraud. But my understanding as well, Peter, they as fast as we can develop technologies to detect honey fraud, there's people who are on the other side of the of the equation trying to get around it. So is this? Do you feel that this is this is something that that is pretty well? If it, if we're looking at honey with NMR, then we can be confident that no one's going to be able to get around this technology fraudulently? It, it is, that is a very good question, and it's, it's hard to I would say it is a really amazing tool. I think it needs, we need to work on it a lot more. Right now, what Brooker has put together is a very automated tool that allows testing of the honey you send, the data is uh, obtained on site, then you run it off to computers that are in Germany. Germany sort of does an automated processing of it and it comes back to you with sort of a, a yes or no answer. But what I have found with our own testing is that we can do significant improvements in that algorithm. And I have been working with a broker a lot over this technology and things that have to improve there. Actually, just recently, I'd say um, they officially announced their version three of the, the uh, testing here. And uh, we're looking at a whole, whole lot more samples in the database. So it's a considerable number that I have contributed with my insight into it. But I can still see that we can take the algorithm that processes the honey samples quite a bit further in that processing. But there are a few limitations with magnetic resonance. Our limit of detection is around the one to two percent region. It varies over the spectrum what we're actually looking in and how many, how much overlap is there. So uh, another technology that is out there is uh, mass spectrometry. And I've actually been working with Leonard Foster at uh, the University of Columbia. He is sort of well known across Canada. He has, he did, he used his mass spec there 
to do a lot of queen breeding in the past few years, protection of disease markers, so that with the uh, applying it to queen breeding there. And uh, I'm working together with him and mass spec together with magnetic resonance are, are really good because uh, the magnetic resonance, it can see the difference between the sugars. It's really good with sugars and those, those uh, unique components there. And mass spec is really good at looking at the tiny amounts of things in there, but it's not so good at quantification. Together, we can really cover the spectrum and that's sort of what we're working Can we tweak our algorithms? Can we use these two instruments together to provide really rock solid uh, set of tools there where you basically can run up against and it will provide you with almost all the possible information you could pull out of these things. So, uh, Peter, I guess that leads us into the current work you're doing, because it sounds like this, the, the bigger this database is, the more samples from the different regions and the different floral sources we can get into it, then the, the better it's going to be for identifying real honey. So um, would you be kind enough to give us kind of an overview of the, about the national research project that you've undertaken with NMR testing and honey? Well, the, uh, I mean, as I say, I've been working on this for quite some time. I originally got uh, some money through the BC government and we did a small test run database there off BC Honey. And in the meantime, I was, I've been, you know, doing a lot of talks and, and going around and, and grabbing samples from uh, across the country as best I can. And uh, recently, uh, the Canadian Honey Council agreed to give us a lot of money to do a proper Canadian database. And that's together with Leonard and do this next sort of uh, system. And we're really putting it together in Canada system that will take these technologies to the next level so that they are much more rigorous in uh, the samples that are in the database. We also want to make the system a lot more open. So far, Brooker keeps most of their, uh, their data under wraps and uh, haven't been exposing it too much. And uh, there, it's, it's hard to know how all these samples were, were put together. So we're hoping we can have a much more open database where people can really understand what's going on, understand what they're seeing when they get their reports back. Generally, what we have seen with the, the uh, magnetic resonance reports are sort of this yes or no response. Is this honey good or not? And that has been a little bit underwhelming for a lot of people, especially if they're getting, no, this isn't any good. There's something wrong here. And that requires having a little closer look at what it is, because there's a lot of things that that affect it. And we have seen some really strange things come out of it from samples that I know are authentic, because they are accessing some plant that uh, has not, not been introduced into the database before. And it sets off these sort of automatic alarms. 
that are set in the current uh, vision there. As I say, the Canadian Honey Council has a lot of money and uh, we're, we're moving ahead really quickly here. The other organizations, the uh, sort of provincial organizations and people across the country really stepped up and we're getting a lot of great help out of all the provinces over that uh, in BC. The BC organization has stepped up with money as well. Alberta has is organizing uh, a bunch of people around there to go out and, and gather honey samples. Uh, same in other prairie provinces where things like the tech transfer teams are going to do their best when they're going out for other reasons to grab uh, samples out of that. Ontario has given, uh, we've got a great guy there, Michael Jennings, who has been working on honey sampling for a long time. So he's joined the project wholeheartedly and we expect to get a lot going there. And then there's you there who has stepped forward. We're, we're hoping to get lots of good stuff there out of the uh, Atlantic provinces as well. Yes, we, we, we've just started this, this summer um, under COVID restrictions. It's been a stumbling <laughs> start, but um, we're going to, I guess, work with you over the next couple of years. So bee, uh, beekeepers from our region who are listening to this podcast who want to submit samples certainly can contact um, through you to us or contact us directly and we can get some samples collected and, and sent off to you to contribute to this. So, yes, we're really happy and excited to be part of part of your, your project. So with, with this overall project, I guess to, to sum up the goals, Peter, it's just to get this these samples from our beekeepers into the database. Is that what the That's main... the idea. Uh, you know, eventually, you know, we'll have to look at all the data. We're trying to get a lot of really authenticated samples where they're picked by independent uh, people that are that come out, take the samples. We've got a whole app for taking photos before and after. We can see, we'll have photo evidence because eventually this, this is a, a legal question. You can be up at, in front of a judge trying to justify those samples. So we don't need everything in the database to undergo that rigorous scrutiny. Uh, we'll definitely be rating the quality of the samples based on uh, how they were, they were brought there. But with, with those sort of third party verified, then you can start verifying the other ones around there. There's a lot of uh, at the data where you can verify, yeah, this makes all make sense and, and we'll go there. And we're hoping to get a lot of good data out of that. We're hoping that everyone that does contribute the sample will get some sort of report back. Um, we'll, we'll see where that's, that sits there, you know, because uh, if we want, I mean, we can certainly offer people Brooker reports, but it costs us, uh, you know, a little bit of cash to run it through the Brooker database. So um, we'll do our own sort of free reports that we'll, we'll give to people, but it may take us a little time until we, we get our databases together. If they wanted a Brooker data report, we could probably offer that on a, you know, just a cost basis for what it costs to, uh, to send the data off to Brooker there and get that back. 
Okay. Do, do you envision that at some point the work you're doing with your database and, and some of the, the regulatory side of it, the database that's being used that, will there be an overlap or a merging of that, that information? We're, we're definitely hoping there'll be something like that going on. I've been working with the CFIA, get them to start putting samples in as well. And uh, with their, uh, they have a magnetic resonance specialist there that's in Halifax. And uh, I've been doing a bit of work with them. So the idea is that this would be adopted by, by the regulatory agencies. And uh, possibly there's a merge in with the existing Brooker database, something like that. We're open to all, all those sorts of possibilities. But it is our, our intention that this is going to be a much more open system where the reporting actually uh, provides information that beekeepers can use and say, yes, all right, I, maybe I do need to be a little more careful in my feeding practices before honey flow or you know this is a unique honey all right i'm going to sell it for a premium uh, yes. and and start start doing that i mean that is it to me it is a combined benefit from this there is the let's stop the fake honey that's out there but let's also just uh, let people know this is this is unique stuff this is special we need we need to take it from that sort of generic honey that sits on the, the supermarket shelves that kind of doesn't give the consumer anything to choose between. You know, there's just, if you have no, it says honey, I don't know the difference. Okay, I'm gonna just grab the cheapest one. We wanna get away from that. We want people to say, oh yeah, okay, this is actually, this is blueberry, this is, this is, this is prairie or you can, you know, because honey is a mix. So you, we can start doing the, the geographic region. So this comes from this region and it, it'll have this unique flavor and, and try it out. Try it the same way uh, people, oh, I'm going to try a wine from Chile today or wine from Australia, this valley or that, or from this grape. All those things can be done with honey. And now we have a tool that really tells us they say, yeah, that has, that has that flower in it. And we're certainly seeing that from other parts of the world where, where they're promoting their honey is unique. And, and here in Atlanta, Canada, um, we do know that. We, we appreciate that our honey is, well, it is the best in the world. I'll tell you, I'll tell you that we can perhaps argue about it later. But, you know, we, uh, but to be you know, uh, serious, we do have an excellent product here. And, and to prove the uniqueness of it through some of this technology would be excellent. And then with our marketing, you know, we can get a premium for that. And then if someone comes in and claims their honey is, is also Atlantic Canadian honey or Nova Scotia honey or PEI or, or Newfoundland or New Brunswick, we could, we could uh, disprove it if we, uh, if we use your technology. Oh, absolutely, for sure. And, and we can see that that happens. I mean, the, the New Zealand Manuka is the best example of that, right? Here is something that really took off, had a lot of heal, and I mean, if you look, if you go uh, searching on the internet for the the fraudulent manuka, you'll see these reports that come out where 
more than half of it is totally fraudulent. Yes. And uh, yeah, that, as it becomes more, more and more valuable, there's more and more money to be made by these scammers and fraudsters that are out there. And I definitely think that we are in that time. I mean, there's already huge amounts of fraud in honey. We, with COVID, we saw honey consumption just skyrocket. Production has been rather poor. Supply lines shut down. Even the fraudulent, I mean, the fraudulent suppliers ended up getting shut down a lot because we, we slowed down those, those production facilities there. Now with our opening up, as, as we get that, the great demand that we're going to see and have already started to see, the fact that there's still a lot of you know, uh, uncertainty at the borders, there's protocols, there's confusion. It's, uh, we, we have the, a time now where the possibility of fraudulent honey coming in in droves really exists and and not just honey sort of fraudulent everything to be out there so uh, i expect that we are going to have to be worried about that for the next year or two okay interesting peter if 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 i can ask this first phase of, of this research um when do you expect the, that will be complete and some results that that we can look at well, right now we're in the collection phase. Honey is, uh, has been coming in, uh, depending on the region, for maybe a month or so in, in serious amounts. So we're heavy on the collection right now. We will process, start, start going through and, and getting our, our data, I would say probably about October, November. Um, one of the great things about both these machines is that you can do that sample prep you you don't have to do a whole lot to the honey you take the honey uh and you can almost you can throw it into the machine and you get its results back very quickly so we can we can process and go through those samples quite quickly when once we actually have them and then it's the right you know doing the database work and putting all that together and because we've been working on this for a while, we're not, you know, we've got a lot of that already in place. So we would hope to have some real results, certainly within, within, uh, you know, basically a year, probably the most there. And, and then uh, we'll start on sort of second, second round of that, because we will always be trying to put more and more samples on that. We get different weather conditions, and then there'll be pockets where we're going, all right, we're not really what's going on here. We'll have a few, who knows, we get some sort of strange plant in there and we don't have too many samples. We might need to go and target specific regions uh, and see what's going on there. And of course, eventually we'd like to push it uh, around the world. We already have uh, some contacts down in the US and we'll, we'll be probably end up with a few samples from that from this season but it would be nice to get them on board as well because there's another big production region and canada ships a lot of honey down to the states so uh, it's important to sort out what's going on down there all right well that that's all fascinating peter and thank you very much for joining us today 
just before we let you go, perhaps um, we could agree that when you get some results in a year or 18 months, maybe we could uh, come together again and we could talk about that specifically. Absolutely. Yeah, I would be happy to do that. All right. Yeah, sounds yeah. great. Okay. Um, and again, thank you very much for your time today. It's been great talking to you and we'll, we'll look forward to, to seeing the results. And also just to, to remind our listeners that they can contribute to this research as well um, through submission of, of honey samples. Yeah, so. absolutely. The more samples we get, the better we can make this database. All right. That's great. Thank you, Peter. Thank you. Your What's the Buzz with Ada Beekeeping podcast is brought to you by your Atlantic Tech Transfer Team for Ape Culture and Perennia Food and Agriculture. We would like to thank Rachel Oxner and Patty Ryan for production and editing, and we would like to thank you, our listeners. For more information on beekeeping in our region, visit our blog, www.atabuzz.com, and find us on Twitter. Atta at Atlantic B.